We are up to mitzvah number 76, and today we're going to do mitzvah number 76 and 78, and these are mitzvahs related to the judiciary, related to courts. And as we know, a Jewish court can be comprised of three justices in the event that we are dealing with a monetary matter, a civil matter, a simple, so to speak, question about money or property. You need three justices. Once it is a capital crime, it's a serious offense that carries with a capital punishment, that would require a court comprised of 23 justices. And on matters of national importance, then you must go to the court of 71. The great Sanhedrin, there's only one of them, is located in the marble chamber in the temple grounds. And that is the Great Sanhedrin, and that is used almost as like a Supreme Court, not for individual cases, but for cases that relate to the entire nation. Now, of course, all of them are odd numbers. You have 3, 23, and 71. And the reason for that is simple. Well, what if you don't have a unanimous vote? You want it to be able to always veer to one side or the other. There's always been majority on one side of the decision. You don't want a situation where the courts is split 50-50 and consequently you don't have a resolution. So mitzvah number 76 is to not follow a simple majority for conviction in capital crime cases. Meaning if you have a question of capital crime, it must be a super majority, a minimum of two that say guilt over innocence, that say Conviction over acquittal, a simple majority of one is not sufficient. So if you have 23 justices and 12 say guilty in a capital crime case and 11 say acquittal, 11 vote for exculpation, that would be insufficient. It's a simple majority of one. That's not enough to convict for capital crime. That's mitzvah number 76. And mitzvah number 78 is to follow the majority when the court is split and that would apply for all monetary cases, two to one is enough. You don't need three zero. And it would also be enough for exculpation in capital cases, meaning if you have 12 to 11 in favor of acquittal, that would be sufficient. A simple majority of one is needed for acquittal. You need a supermajority for conviction. So let's start with mitzvah number 78, which is the basic idea of we follow the majority whenever there is a debate or dispute, when it's not, it's a mixed ruling, shall we say. And then we'll go to mitzvah number 78, uh, I'm sorry, and then we'll go to mitzvah number 76, which is the exception to that would be a vote of guilt for capital crime cases. Okay, so let's start with mitzvah number 78, and that is that whenever there is a decision we follow the majority. Now, it's important that this applies not only in questions of a case, namely that we don't know what the law is. The two litigants come to court and two people have a dispute and we need to know which one is in the right. But even when there is a machlokas, which means a conceptual dispute, then we would also follow this concept. Meaning it's not only a question of determining what happened when the law is known, but it's also revealing what the law is when it is disputed. And this is a very important principle in Jewish law. 
that is very helpful in many different areas. That's the concept of following the majority. This applies, of course, in a case where you have justices, three justices, and two say one way and one says the other way. We follow the majority. But it also applies in other areas. So the classic example that the Talmud brings is if you find a piece of meat and you don't know where it comes from, does it come from the kosher butcher? Does it come from the non-kosher butcher? You don't know. In instances like that, you may also use the principle of majority to be able to identify doubt. There are things that we know and there are things that we don't know. There's the known knowns and there's the unknown knowns and there's the known unknowns. There's a lot of things that we don't know about. And if we were prophets, of course, God knows everything. Maybe a prophet can figure things out. But the adjudication of Torah is not done via prophecy. It's done via the systems that the Torah gives us. And one system that the Torah gives us to determine what to do in a case where there's doubt, where there's uncertainty, where there's a gap in knowledge, one of them is the concept of rov, as it's called in Hebrew, meaning majority. Whenever there is a bunch of options in front of us, and we don't know which one's correct, but we do know what the odds are, so to speak, we do know what the options are, we would follow the majority. Now, the Sefer Chinuch, the book that we are using to guide us through the mitzvos, he gives us the very beginning, a very interesting idea. And he says, suppose you have a bunch of scholars and there is a question and there is a debate and there is a dispute and we don't know what the answer is. And 90% say one way and 10% say the other way. So that's a classic case. We have a majority, we follow the majority. However, what if the composition of the court, as it were, is not balanced. You have some great sages, some great scholars, and some ignoramuses, or some people, maybe they're average scholars. In that instance, we don't follow the principle of rove of majority. It's unlike democracy. Democracy, everyone gets a vote. No matter if they're a PhD, or if they're a great scientist, a great mathematician, a great philosopher, or they're a homeless person who doesn't know anything, who... Well, I'm sure there's a lot of very talented homeless people, but that's the idea. People that are less attuned to the matters at, at hand, the matters of state, the matters, you know, of, of law, of policy. They all get the same vote. This is not democracy. This is not democracy that we say we follow the majority. It's only when we're dealing with the class of people that is uniform. You have a bunch of great sages on the Sanhedrin. You have a bunch of great sages or even average sages, but sages of the same caliber on a court. Whereas if you have one great sage and that great sage states position X, and then you have a thousand plebs, a thousand peons, a thousand average people who know nothing about the matters at hand, and they vote Y, then we will not follow the principle of majority rules because in this instance, it's not a uniform field and consequently, we don't just weigh the sides. However, if we have great sages and they're equal, then we would follow the position of the majority. So no one could tell us, hey, you know, the majority of Jews in the world have voted not to observe Shabbos. Let's assume that that happened, right? God forbid, right? Let's assume that that happened. Majority of Jews have voted not to keep Shabbos. Okay, well, we have a principle, majority rules. No, the majority only rules when there is a certain uniformity of the uh, of the positions at hand. No one could tell me, hey, there's only like, what, 10 million, 10 million Jews or 15 million Jews in the world? 
but there's a billion and a half Muslims. And therefore, there's more Muslims out there and we should follow them because majority rules, right? Of course, that would not be a winning argument. There is a rationale here. And the rationale is that the majority is likely to be correct more often than not. There's a certain wisdom of crowds where more often than not, the majority has it correct. You know, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to make a lot of money, it's really hard. Why is it really hard? Just come up with an idea, innovate, invent something that no one's ever thought of that could change the world. You make a lot of money, right? This is the reason why it's really hard. Because more often than not, the majority is correct. The consensus is correct. And you want to be a maverick, you want to be an innovator, you want to do something that's non-consensus. The only way you can make money is if it's non-consensus and it's correct. And it is right. If you're non-consensus, if you go against the majority and you're wrong, well, then it's a terrible idea. And if you go with the consensus and you're right, well, a lot of people are already on that road. That's not going to yield the same returns. Then we have a court, a court comprised of great scholars who have made a career out of thinking about these questions, and more often than not, the majority will get it right. And therefore, we have 23 justices, we have 71 justices, we have three justices in our court, we follow the majority, and that's what we assume is correct. Now, there is an interesting problem with this framework. We are trying to follow the will of God. The court is almost like a stand-in for God. The court is vested with the power given to them by, by the Almighty, not to give their opinion, but to convey the law of the Almighty, the law of Torah. And if they made a mistake... They are, after all, humans, and they can't rely on prophecy. Even if they were prophets, they can't rely on prophecy to adjudicate a given Torah matter. The Torah is no longer in the heavens. The Torah is in our hands, we're told in Scripture. Well, then mistakes can potentially happen. And therefore, what do we do if there's a mistake? Meaning, more often than not, the majority has it right. But you would imagine that sometimes the minority opinion is correct. Suppose you have a Sanhedrin, there's 71 members. And 10 of them vote one way and 61 of them vote the other way. We follow the majority. You have 10 great sages that have conveyed an opinion against the majority. It is feasible, at least, to imagine that they are correct. The minority is correct. But if we follow the majority, well, we're corrupting Torah. The Torah, the law is going to follow the majority, and the majority is wrong. So how do we square the fact that we're told that we must perpetuate the Torah in a correct fashion without making mistakes, Yet, there is this system that potentially allows mistakes to creep in. Majority is right most of the time, but we can imagine that sometimes they're wrong. So first of all, it's important to note, there is a separate mitzvah 
all the way in Deuteronomy, Mitzvah number 496, that tells us that we are obligated to adhere to the Sanhedrin and not depart from their words, not right and not left, which the Talmud explains, even if they tell you that left is right and right is left, you must listen to them, which seems to apply, even if they're wrong, you must listen to them. But nevertheless, in our mitzvah, the Sefer Chinuch invokes this idea. And he tells us that what happens if we don't have this protocol? What happens if we don't have a system for resolving disputes? The idea that we could go to God, like Moshe did in his past parsha, and say, hey, people want to have a second Pesach. They want to have a makeup date. They want a rain check. Or we're going to read about, in a couple of weeks, about the daughters of Tzlavchad. They have a question. Moshe goes to God. The idea of having a prophet with a direct line with a speed dial to God, that is something that ended once Moshe passed. And even when Joshua was the leader of the people, and he was a prophet of the highest caliber, one notch below Moshe, and he could have asked God to resolve the halachic debates and uncertainties that they had, he told them, we're not doing it. Once Moshe passes, that's it. It's an hour, fallible, human hands to determine the halacha. And we have to use the tools that we have and the protocols and the systems that are codified in the Torah to figure out how to proceed. And therefore, what do we have? The Torah tells us you follow the majority. What if the majority is wrong? Or better yet, the minority, the dissenters, shall we say, must they follow the ruling of the majority even though they're convinced the majority is wrong? The answer is yes. And what the Sefer Chinuch tells us is that even though there are some holes in the system, it's the best system. Because what happens if we don't have a way of resolving problems, of resolving uncertainties and doubts? And everyone follows their own decision. And every person has their own ideas. And if we only keep the Torah that makes sense to us, or if we decide that we want to depart from the majority, suddenly you begin to disintegrate as a nation. And therefore he tells us something very fascinating. Now that we have a system, and that system is we follow the majority, and we go to court, and we go to the Sanhedrin, and we investigate to the best of our abilities, and we have a vote and we resolve it, now we will ensure that we are one nation. And he points out that this is actually the will of God. God himself tells us, this is the system that you use. I know you're fallible. I know you're human. You're not perfect. Nevertheless, he wants us to adjudicate his Torah via this method. And the Sefer Chenech tells us something really interesting. He says, if you go to court... And you don't know what to do. And you ask the court, and they follow majority rules, and it turns out in the eyes of God, i.e. in reality, they made a mistake. Ah, humans are not perfect, right? They made a mistake. Humans are not perfect. And you, naively, followed 
The Sanhedrin, you did what you were told. And now you did something which is a violation of Torah because the Sanhedrin got it wrong. So he tells us that in such an event, it's not your fault. And in fact, if the mistake is discovered by a later court or by someone bringing up the problem with the Sanhedrin's argument, then the court and the members of the court who gave the erroneous ruling must atone for their sin, must bring a sacrifice, but the person who followed the ruling doesn't need to do it because you did as you, as required for you. And just because it's germane to our subject, in mitzvah number 496 that I mentioned a little bit earlier, the Sefer Chinuch adds a little twist. And he says that the system that we have is preferable even in the event that there are going to be some mistakes. Meaning, we have the best system that we have, and yes, maybe there are mistakes going to happen, but you know what? That is preferable. It's better to have a system that allows for certain mistakes, but retains us as one nation. And that's what they might give us this system to follow, and it's the best one that there is. So that's mitzvah number 78, the mitzvah of following the majority. The concept of majority is helpful to determine doubts, uncertainties, and the most prominent example of that is when we go to court, the court is an odd number, there's always going to be a majority on one side of the issue, and therefore we can have our resolution. And then we get to Mitzvah number 76, and even though it appears earlier in the Torah, I think logically it made sense to say 76 after 78, and that's the concept that there is an exception to the principle of majority rules. And that is, in a capital crime case specifically, in the event that there is a simple majority of one, it's 12 to 11, you have 12 of the 23 justices vote for guilt, that the defendant indeed is guilty of a capital crime and must be executed. And you have 11 who vote for acquittal, who say there is sufficient grounds for acquittal. In that case, the majority rules would not be sufficient and we cannot execute someone when there's only a simple majority. And the idea here is that the court is always told, or almost always told, to favor exculpation. We, as a human court, we are very wary to actually execute someone. Because there's nothing worse than executing someone who is innocent. And really, we'd love to throw the bull back into God's court. You know what? If he's guilty, you kill him, not us. And the Talmud tells us that an average Jewish court that kills more often than once every seven years or 70 years is a bloodthirsty court. And in fact, there is a mitzvah, and we'll see more about this in upcoming mitzvahs, there's a mitzvah for the court to favor exculpation and always seek exculpation. And the deliberations are always shaded in a way to favor acquittal and exculpation over guilt and conviction. 
And one aspect of that is that this is the one exception to the simple majority rules. Normally, a majority of one is sufficient. However, with respect to conviction in capital crime cases, you need a supermajority, which means a minimum of two. But of course, you can't ever have a minimum of two. You'd have to have a minimum of three. So in order for a person to be found guilty and executed just for a law, there would be a minimum of 13 to 10 needed for conviction. If there's 12 to 11, that is not sufficient. And the reason for this, Sefer Chinuch tells us, is that we must emulate God, and God is all kindness, and God does with us above and beyond what is fair, and therefore so too with us when we judge in our courts we should also favor acquittal. Now, there's an interesting question the Talmud brings. So you have 12 that vote guilty and 11 that vote innocent, acquittal. So we don't have a majority that votes for acquittal, right? Because the vote for acquittal is 11, and the vote for conviction is 12. So you have a majority for conviction. But a majority of one for conviction is not sufficient. You need a majority of two, which in practice means a majority of three. So what do you do now? It's almost like a split decision. You have 12 that say guilty, 11 that say innocent, and you can't actually have a verdict not for guilt and not for innocence. Because for guilt, you need a supermajority. And for innocence, for acquittal, you need at least a simple majority. So now you have 12 to 11, and you're stuck. That is not enough to uh, favor one side or the other. What do you do now? Also, what do you do if there is a judge that is unsure, that's not convinced by the preponderance of evidence to either direction, not to guilt and not to innocence? not to conviction, and not to acquittal. What do you do now? So let's say you have 15 that say guilty and 7 that say innocent, and one says, I don't know. I don't know. I need to see more. I, I cannot rule one with the other. Well, what now? So we would imagine that, well, you already have a majority, a super majority for guilt, right? Regardless of what the other person votes, suppose we give them an innocent vote. You would still have enough to convict because after all, you have 15 for voting for conviction. So we would say, you know what? Let's execute the guy because that's enough. So the Talmud tells us that no. Whenever there is a justice that says, I don't know, we can never render a ruling when there is a judge that says that they don't know. And the reason for this is that you need 23 justices when there is an instance, or a minimum of 23 justices, when there's an instance where one of the justices I don't know, you don't have a court. So what do you do in these cases? So Talmud tells us, the book of Sanhedrin, page 40a, if you have 11 that say innocent and 12 that say guilty, or you have 11 to 11 and one says, I don't know. Or if you have 22 who say guilty or 22 that say innocent and one says, I don't know. You have to actually 
pack the court. You have to increase the number of justices in the court. And you add two. And thus the court of 23 becomes a court of 25. And the idea is, is that now you have more opinions, you have more people, you have more justices, you have more ideas to balance around, and hopefully you will get clarity. So the 12 to 11 case, 12 say guilty, 11 say innocent, you add two more to the court and you rejudge, so to speak, the case on the merits. And let's see what we have now with a court of 25. And if those two split and you have 13 to 12 for guilt, again, you don't have a supermajority, you add two more and you add two more and you add two more until you reach 71. Because a Jewish court can never be larger than 71. And if you have 71 and 36 say guilty and 35 say innocent and you only have a simple majority to say guilt and you don't have a sufficient quorum of majority or simple majority to say innocence, then you are stuck. You don't leave the room until one of the sides can triumph over the other side. Ideally, we'd love one of the people who has conveyed a guilty vote to switch the other side and say, you know what? I actually want to change my mind. And then you would have 36, 35 for innocence and then you would be able to acquit them. And similarly, with a case where someone says, I don't know, you would add more justices to make sure we have a complete vote. And that would go also to 71. One more interesting quirk in the law, and this is a very counterintuitive idea. What if you have a unanimous vote? 23 to 0, everyone agrees that the defendant is guilty. So this seems like it's a slam dunk, right? It's a slam dunk. 23 to 0, it's unanimous. The Talmud tells us something really interesting. You can never execute someone in a Jewish court of law if the vote was unanimous. 23 justices. And each one of them is told by the Torah, you must try to turn over every legal stone to find acquittal. That's your job. And we'll see more about how exactly they do it. Your job as a member of the Sanhedrin is to use the vast repository of Torah knowledge you have to be able to find a legitimate grounds for acquittal. That's your job. And if you can't do that, and none of your 22 peers can do it either, and everyone votes for guilt, this is not the kind of court that is competent enough, and thus we cannot execute someone in such a court. Now, the way the Talmud frames it, and I know there's a lot of legalese here, but I'll, if, if you miss this point, just forget about it. The way the Talmud frames this is that a Jewish court of law can never render a ruling in one day. You always have to have it. It has to be a multi-day process. And thus, what happens is you have a vote, like the initial vote. Let's say it's, you know, 10 to 13. doesn't matter which way it is. Well, actually it does. Because if it's 10 to 13 and 13 say innocent, then the person goes home. But if it's a guilty vote, 13 say guilty, 10 say innocent, then you must spend the next day trying to see if 
the ten, the argument of the ten is good. And thus, for the whole night, these 13 justices say, is there any grounds, is there any merit, is there any way I can change my vote? And only the next day, when you have the, the, the follow-up vote, and I would say, okay, what you discover, only then can a guilty verdict be rendered. And thus, you can have a final vote and the final rendering of the verdict in one day. And what will happen if you have a vote of 23 to 0? There is no grounds for acquittal, and thus you cannot kick the voting, so to speak, to the next day because no one presented any grounds for acquittal. And thus you would have to vote for guilt today. And the Torah says you can never vote for guilt in one day, and therefore a person cannot be acquitted in such a court. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wait a minute. If it is so clear the guy is innocent, we have the witness, we have the testimony, we have all the evidence, it's clear, cut, and dried. How do we let the guy off the hook? So some of the commentaries say, well, no, we don't actually let the guy off the hook. But what we do is we find a different court. Because a court of 23 justices that cannot find any grounds for acquittal, this is not the kind of court we want to use to acquit. Uh, to This is not the kind of court we want to use to convict someone and execute someone. The Talmud tells that the great Rabbi Meir, who was one of the students of Rabbi Kiva, he had 150 proofs to say that a Sheretz, which is like a creepy crawler, is kosher. Now, the problem is we know it's not kosher. But he, with his vast Torah knowledge and incredible calculation, he could have proved 150 different ways that the Sheretz is kosher. And that's the kind of person we need on the court. Someone who could use tremendous advanced arguments to be able to find acquittal. And if we can have even one person on the court, we just pass it off, we kick it off to the next court. So this is the mitzvah that we talked about today. Mitzvah number 76 and 78, the general concept of following the majority. We have a godly Torah, infallible human hands, and we have a protocol of how to deal with uncertainties and doubts and questions. We follow the majority in most situations. We have, of course, a bias towards exculpation, and there are more examples of that. And therefore, if there's only a civil majority for Guilt, that would not be sufficient, and that's mitzvah number 76, that the normal rule of majority rules, simple majority is sufficient, is not enough by a capital crime conviction. And if there's any questions or comments or feedback, you can always ask them, and my email address is, of course, rabbiwalbajima.com.